Heavenly Father, you say that your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. So I pray now this lunchtime that your word would be active, that you would speak of your son by your spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the 1980s, the Guardian newspaper ran a television advert that remains iconic for the message that it portrayed. These were the days of the skinhead subculture, and a rough-looking skinhead man is seen running down a street. Then the camera shifts to show the scene from a different angle. Uh, This time, the man runs down the street, and we see him bundling into a well-dressed businessman. Uh, The skinhead seems to reach for his briefcase. The businessman holds his briefcase up, a bit like a Roman shield. Then the camera shifts up and outwards, and we see the whole scene from above. We see the man running, bundling into the businessman, pushing him to the side of the street. But this time, we see why. Because above the businessman is a pallet of bricks suspended on a winch, and it's unstable and it's toppling, and the skinhead bundles the businessman out of the path just as the bricks are falling to the ground. The voiceover says, It's only when you get the whole picture you can fully understand what's going on. We're led to believe it's a mugging, but when we see the full picture, we see it's really about a rescue. You see, our assumptions can be wrong. Our responses to the same events can be different. It is essential that we get the whole picture. And that's what's going on in this part of Mark's gospel that we're going to look at together now. Mark 15 tells the story of the death of Jesus on the cross. And as we look at it together, we'll see some different responses to those events from some of the eyewitnesses who saw them. What I hope we'll see by the end is the whole picture. To see, if you like, the God's eye view of what's taking place here, I hope we'll see that it's about a rescue. It's getting us to the heart of the question, why did Jesus come? And the striking claim that Mark's gospel is all about is that Jesus came to die. Most of the biographies that we read about focus on the life and the achievements of their subjects. And we've seen some of that in Mark's gospel so far. He's introduced us to Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus has calmed storms and healed sick people. He's even said that he has the authority to forgive sin. But nearly half of what Mark has to tell us about Jesus takes place in the final week of his life, and much of that in the final few hours. Jesus' death has actually loomed over his life and his teaching from much earlier still. It was a constant topic of conversation for him. So uh, back in chapter 8 and verse 31, uh, we read, 
He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Jesus not only taught that he would die, but he taught that he had to die. In fact, he described how it would happen. He'd be rejected by the religious leaders of the day. He was sentenced to death in a Jewish and a Roman court. And the remarkable thing about Jesus' death is that he went willingly to die. So his death was no accident for him, no failure either. He said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How his death is a ransom and a rescue is what we're going to look at in Mark 15 as we see some perspectives and take in the full picture of the cross. Now let's join the story at Mark 15 and verse 22. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. Here's our first perspective of what's going on. It is the group of soldiers who had taken Jesus from his trial to his place of execution. As far as they are concerned, Jesus is just another man. These events are all in the day's work. These soldiers are certainly effective in their job. They're fulfilling the task that they've been given, but they are missing the real significance of what's happening. It would almost be funny if it wasn't so bleak. They're casting lots, they're dividing up among themselves the clothes that Jesus had been wearing. They're absorbed in their work and they're more concerned about the little bits of personal profit that they can make than they are about the man that they're crucifying. And I think for many of us, we can find ourselves where these soldiers do. The death of Jesus is insignificant, barely noticeable. We don't want it to distract us from the business of our day, from our concerns and our own well-being. It just doesn't seem to matter that much to us. Well, that's one perspective. Here's a second. Let me continue from verse 25. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And that sign there came from Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate cuts a sad figure in Mark's gospel. And Mark tells us that Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent of the charges against him. He even speaks to a rowdy crowd and offers to release Jesus. But the crowd shouts back that they want a known criminal called Barabbas to be released instead. 
a Mark Relaisi conversation a little bit earlier, just back uh, in verse 12. Uh, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. That's what makes Pilate such a tragic figure. He is at heart a crowd pleaser. He knows that Jesus has done nothing wrong. He even calls him king. He speaks better than he knows. But he is willing to see Jesus suffer and die in order to protect his own interests. But he's not alone. I wonder how often do we do the same thing? How often do we do what we know is wrong in order to save face before others? Well, here's a third perspective. It's in the next three groups of people that we meet from verse 27. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Crucifixions took place in public locations where people would pass by and see those being executed made an example of. And here we see the passers-by who saw Jesus die and chose to mock him. They knew that he had spoken of himself as a saviour. They thought that his mission was ending in failure. And so they mocked him. And the religious leaders, too, that they are convinced that they are the gateway that leads people to God. They don't see how the death of Jesus on a cross could be part of God's plan. They don't recognize that if Jesus were to come down from the cross, then their sins would not be paid for. It's often the religious among us who resist Jesus the most strongly because we want to deal with our sin ourselves on our own terms. And then the criminals crucified with Jesus, with their dying breath, they insult him. They are proud to the last. These people, all of them, they all dismiss Jesus as saviour and they all arrogantly turn against him as a figure of fun. Well, there are three perspectives on what is happening at the cross. But let's zoom out now and let's take in the view from above. Let's take in the whole picture. What is God's perspective on these events? What does God say is happening at the cross as Jesus dies? That comes from verse 
33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. These verses give us a couple of pictures and some words that explain the true significance of the cross. The first picture is that of darkness. Now it's midday, but darkness has fallen across the land. And we know that these events take place around the Jewish Passover, which always takes place at a full moon. It means that this darkness is not a solar eclipse. This is something different, something with a spiritual significance. In the Bible's terms, light is a picture of God's favor and presence. Darkness represents God's judgment and his absence. The darkness here represents God's judgment, which comes from his anger against sin. Now, some people flinch at the idea of God being angry, even angry against sin. And I think I'd flinch at that too, if it was an unpredictable or an impulsive temper that we were talking about. But God's anger isn't either of those things. God's anger is his settled, controlled, personal hostility towards all that is wrong. It means that God cares about the wrong things that have been done to us and to those that we love. Perhaps you have been treated very badly. God cares about that. Because he's a God of love and a God of justice, he cannot simply ignore wrongdoing as if it doesn't matter. After all, we care about wrongdoing in the world. Why would we think that the God who created the world wouldn't care about it? No, he cares. And he's angry about it. But at the cross, we see something extraordinary. We see God acting in judgment against sin. But we see his son, Jesus, taking the punishment that he didn't deserve. That's the meaning of those words of Jesus as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he was dying on the cross, Jesus was forsaken by God in some way. He lived a perfect life, free from any hint or stain of sin. Even Pilate couldn't find anything to accuse him of. But as he died, he faced the judgment that God had warned would come to sinful people. So why would God be punishing him? Well, the answer is in that little verse that we heard earlier, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
What's happening is this. At the cross, Jesus is giving himself up to be punished on our behalf. He's bearing the punishment that our sins deserve so that we can be rescued. And Jesus gives himself up for this task. Jesus, the son of God, come in the flesh, could have taken himself down from the cross if that's what he wanted. That's what makes the mockery and the jeering of those people earlier so poignant. He could have done what they said, but he chose the cross. He chose to die. He chose to be rejected by men and women so that he could die as a perfect substitute in the place of sinful people. He did it so that we could be forgiven. Now imagine a data bank of every moment of your life on film, your thoughts on record. Imagine that leaked for all the world to see. Plenty of good things to celebrate, I'm sure, but plenty that you'd want to hide, maybe even from your own memory. We all have secrets that we wouldn't want to be exposed or publicized, but the Bible tells us that all of it is known. All of it is known to God, how we've treated one another and how we've treated him. Our sin puts a barrier between us. It separates us from God. But as Jesus died, he took our sin onto himself. He faced the rejection and the separation from God that we deserved. It is as if he was taking that record of mine and putting it in his name. It's a life-changing event. He died as my substitute in my place, taking the punishment that I deserved. And so it's as if that record of mine has been wiped clean. It's no longer held against me. And here's a picture to show that and the result of it. It comes in verses 37 and 38. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, the temple in Jerusalem it represented the presence of God, but there was a thick curtain hanging in it, 30 feet high, which demonstrated that a barrier existed between God and sinful people. But suddenly, as Jesus dies, the curtain is torn from top to bottom, from heaven to earth, torn in two. It's as if God is saying, because of the death of Jesus on the cross, the way is now open for you to approach me. Your sin paid for fully and finally and forever. That's the whole picture taken in from God's perspective. But it is echoed in the final verse I want us to look at. Verse 39. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. 
This centurion was a seasoned soldier. He would have fought campaigns and seen men die in action. He would have overseen countless crucifixions. But he had never seen a man die like this. As he saw Jesus die, as he saw how Jesus died, he recognized the truth about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And the question for us then is this, what view will we take of Jesus and the cross? Will you be content to let it pass as if it was insignificant? Will you persist in doing what you know is wrong because you fear what other people might think? Will you mock Jesus and seek to take care of your sin yourself? Or will you do as the centurion does here and take in the full picture? Will you see his death as being for you and for your sins? What will you do with your sin? Will you take it with you to the grave and the judgment that must come? Or will you let Jesus take it to the cross and be rescued from it?